0: Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with Conversation Highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. I begin this edition with some comments from a Houston area pastor and ministry leader who demonstrates for us the reason why Christ came, so that sinners might be saved. Juan Martinez was going in a dangerous direction in his life, but in prison, God used a fellow inmate to share the truth of Christ, leading to his acceptance of Christ as Savior. Learn more coming up. And you'll be hearing from Ramona Richards, a novelist who integrates biblical truth into her works of fiction. She uses suspense in order to demonstrate the depravity of humanity and the goodness of God. Plus, you'll meet two pastors. Derek Hawkins is black, Jay Stewart is white. In 2016, they led their respective congregations into a merger. Their story illustrates the principles and attitudes that believers in Christ can possess regarding racial reconciliation. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, George Barna of the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University brings news of how a particular group of Christians devoted to the Word of God responded to a survey measuring their electoral choices and their views on election integrity. Finally, Bob Kretch is celebrating a child who was born into the world and fought for life. His wife had given birth to a micro preemie baby who weighed less than a pound. They clung to their faith in Christ and saw God work in an amazing way. You'll be hearing him share part of their story ahead. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Juan Martinez started using and dealing in drugs when he was a teenager. In his 20s, he ended up in prison, but God had another way for him. Juan discovered it while in prison and has responded to God's call to the ministry. He is founder of Wrapped in the Love of Christ Ministry and senior pastor of Get Wrapped Church based in the Houston area and the author of the book, Beyond the Yellow Brick Road, Unlocking the Promises of God. From a recent conversation, this is Juan Martinez. I
1: uh, meet this guy and he says that he's there for me. And so, of course, I start laughing because I'm thinking you're in jail. And uh, he said he was going to be free. The next morning, I see him laying on his face, praying. And I go work out. He's still on his face. I start doing uh, eating. He's still on his face. I think a shower is still on his face. Eventually, I, he gets up, and I yell for him because I'm, he's got my attention. And he says that he was there praying for me. And he goes, "You got have you ever read your Bible? He tells me to read my Bible. I go in my cell. And that was the game changer. I opened up the book uh, the book to the book of Proverbs and I began to read and it was like it just like it was kind of like a hand came out and pulled me in I would never be the same again I began to see I I, for some reason I would read and I would understand and I read Proverbs went to Psalms and the Gospels and then I came out and he's like what'd you get out of it I said I I don't know he says you know what you gotta you gotta digest this you gotta keep Mm -hmm. chewing you gotta think about eventually this guy gets set free he was innocent he was there for about six months Everything he had told me was accurate, and uh, I don't even remember the guy's name. My wife thinks, you know, that was an angel, and my life changed forevermore. When I got uh, – I started prayer groups. I started doing all these things because I still like if I'm reading this, I should live this. So I began to do it, and uh, I got – Jonah got spit out of the mouth of
0: the whale. I got spit
1: out of the mouth of the jail, and I just began to run <laughs> everywhere. I had so darkness to bring light.
0: So now, as as you mentioned earlier, you were facing, you were staring down at, what, a 25-year sentence? A
1: 25-year fa- sentence, yes How sir. much of
0: that did you serve?
1: I served four. I
0: winded up getting four
1: wow. years. I did three years uh, and about a year parole.
0: Wow. So tell me about how it is that you really sense God was calling you to be a pastor.
1: Oh, man. You know what? I wish it, that was an easy answer. I, 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 when I came out, I just kept doing the things that I felt the Word was telling me. And one day, I, uh, doing the least thing that I didn't want to do, somebody was like, I need your help. You know, uh, There was an integrity issue. Could you uh, help me in the Spanish ministry? And I didn't want to do it because I told them, I'm an evangelist. You know, I, I just travel around, and I'm just going to preach. And uh, doing the thing I did not want to do, I found my calling. Uh, in that, I started to get a heart for people, and before you know it, I started a Bible study um, with about eight people, and today we have a campus in spring uh, right by Houston, uh, another campus on the southeast side that we launched during corona because I believe we're supposed to run into the fire, and uh, we have another one in New London, Connecticut, and now we have radio shows uh, in Dallas, Austin, and Houston. Uh, and so God's just been unbelievable, and we just launched a book as well.
0: well, you mentioned continuing to be assertive during this time of coronavirus. I did want to mention, as I understand it in twenty seventeen when Hurricane Harvey ravaged the Houston area, you and your wife and your children basically left Houston, and you you really were able to. Gain a greater sense of of people struggling because you were actually going through that. You basically, as I as I have been informed, you, you came out of there with just the clothes on your backs. Absolutely. You know, that was one of the most interesting
1: things in the planet. Because when you come from Hoboken, New Jersey, right outside of Manhattan, and you find yourself in a little boat, something you would just see on TV in another country, you really get a little freaked out by it. You know, because you're like, what am I doing in a boat? And that day changed my life because, you know what, I believe that a lot of times we look at storms from a bad place. But when you're a Christian, if you allow uh, that storm to see through the eyes of God and you pull a promise in the midst of a storm, everything changes. I believe that those things elevate us. And in the middle of that storm, I was in a boat with a backpack and a few things, and I said, man, God, I've lost everything. And I heard a still small voice tell me, everything And I had realized that no matter what I had, a base or a bound, that I still would have everything because I had him. And the storm for us elevated us and took us to another place. A book came out of it. My house came out of it because we were living in an apartment and and, and I never knew I would move into a house. And here we moved into a house and just all these amazing things happened. So I began to think that storm, although it's seems complicated. With Christ, all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his
0: purpose. Juan Martinez here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to juanmartinez.tv. Next up, it's Christian suspense author Ramona Richards. She shared with me about her inspiration for writing and her approach as a Christian to the material about which she writes. She also shared about the concept and plot of the book, Burying Daisy Doe. From that conversation, this is Ramona Richards now.
2: You find out very quickly in the novel that Daisy Doe, this woman who was killed, is Starr's grandmother. And so it, this is all comes out in the first chapter. So there's no spoilers right, here. Right. Uh, Starr's father, who was a lawyer tried to investigate his mother's killing and was also murdered. And so Starr, her entire family was destroyed by this. First her grandmother and then her father. And her father had obsessed on this case to the point that he pushed and pushed and pushed. He, it just became his obsession. And so that had influenced Starr. And she went into law enforcement. She was with the uh, Metro Nashville Police Department. And she decided to come out on her own and become a cold case detective. She found she had a talent for it uh, when she was on the police force. And so this obsession had been a hanging out, you know, over her family. And so she finally decides that if she really wants to make a name for herself and to grow her business, this is the case to solve. So that's what has pushed her
0: even in the christian space you know that there is there are books that are written in this suspense and mystery area so how is it that your faith your christian faith really informs this type of material
2: um it there's everybody's faith journey is a little different and one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotations, and I'm not going to attempt to do it verbatim, but it goes like this. Um, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun, not because I see it, because by it, I see everything else. Hmm. And my faith, which has been instilled in me for many, many, many years, it changes your point of view. Your worldview is different when you're a devout Christian, and it's hard to explain to someone who is not a believer how exactly that happens. But you see everything around you in terms of your faith. Um, You see events in terms of your faith. You see events in your own life in terms of your belief and your relationship with God. And when it comes to the suspense type stories, um, Someone who is a devout Christian knows that God acts in our lives. And someone like Star, who has had these um, unbelievable tragedies in her life, struggles with this. She struggles with the idea that there is a good God. She struggles with the idea of God's omniscience. And, but she is, she has a grandmother who adores her and prays for her. And she gets involved in Pineville with the local police chief, who is a man of faith, and they influence her in turn um, in, in developing this case. They both are working with her, and it's they influence her view of God in this. And it um, she, on occasion, will ask them, how can you believe in a God who would do this? And it's their answers. It's that God does not, you know, he allows evil to exist, but he doesn't cause it to exist. And those kind of conversations, um, come out. And I think it's something that we all struggle with. I mean, you look at the current situation of our country. Um, we, questioning is normal. It's rather natural, um, in terms of our faith, um, it, it's, it's normal when something bad happens to ask why, um, I had a severely disabled daughter and I had a number of people who would come to me and just, it would affect their fates to see her, to be with her. And I would often be asked, how can you accept that there is a God who is all knowing and all loving and let her exist the way she exists. And my response usually was a simplified form of uses every one of us. We all have a purpose in his plan. Hmm. And I may not completely understand what his purpose is for her or what her purpose is in this life, but I know that there is one.
0: Ramona Richards here on The Intersection. Her website address is RamonaRichards.com. From the multi-site church called The Refuge, Pastor Derek Hawkins of the Refuge Greensboro and Pastor Jay Stewart, founder and lead pastor of the church based in Charlotte, discussed unity in Christ and race relations based on their book, Welded, Forming Racial Bonds That Last. Here now are African-American pastor Derek Hawkins and white pastor Jay Stewart. God was obviously stirring in both of your spirits about bringing you together. He, you know, is a it was a divine encounter, if you will. He brought the two of you together. He really cemented this friendship and. Then he was stirring in both of your hearts for the churches to come together. So I want you to each address this question. What did your congregations, your respective congregations, as God had them set up, what did they bring to this particular merger and of course, we we address this from a kingdom mindset. So, what is it that the house of refuge, Derek, brought to to this this new organism that God was putting together?
3: Uh, Bob, man, that's an, an amazing question, man. Awesome question. Oh, thank I, you. I think what we what we brought and what we continue to bring is just humility and a heart to get a chance to know each other. Uh, I think. If you go into the, a conversation, any conversation for what you bring and not what you're receiving, then you kind of already approach and attack the conversation or even the coming together with the wrong mindset. So it wasn't about what what we really brought, but it's what we could learn from each other, what we could do to grow. Of course, there was aspects that we brought Um, But there was more so learning and the humility aspect of it, Bob, just getting a chance to know each other and um, just the humility, I I would say that. And just the ministry of prayer, man, I love prayer. And I think that's one of the things that the Lord has really birthed me in is is prayer. And and that's the mantle that's definitely on the refuge. And just now as we begin to see uh, God move in unity all across the nation through this Mm. story, uh, we're truly in a chapter we talk about we're better together. So I think we brought a lot of things together. But one of the things about it is anytime that you you give up something, you have to be submission, submissive. And so submission it is humility for me, and it's true honor. And I just honor the leadership that Pastor Jay has brought, and we both have learned so much through each other. I don't think I can just summarize it in one answer because it's so much that we brought to the table for each other.
0: Pastor mm. Pastor Jay? From your From your standpoint, what did, did the what was your church bringing to this this merger?
4: I think one of the things that we brought to a, a, a church that was much smaller and that was uh, maybe rooted more in some traditions was maybe some new paradigms and some new processes, some new ways that they could reach their community. Pastor Derek came in with some fresh ideas and fresh vision. To this congregation with the blessing of the founding pastors, we were able to just come alongside of him and together really dream about what could happen there in Greensboro. And it's amazing over these last few years what we've seen happen as they've implemented some of these new processes and systems. And you know, again, uh, I've learned so much in this process as well. Pastor Derek is a spiritual son of mine. But I've learned so much from him. my life is so much better because of him and because of our folks at greensboro I, They're family to me. I love mm. them I've always said I'm a black man trapped in a white man's body i love I love gospel music man and i've I've just learned a lot from them, and we've grown so much together and really, it's a picture of psalm one thirty three how good and pleasant it is when brothers mm. dwell together in unity. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon that flows down the beard of Aaron and across his robe. And it says in verse 3, that's that place where the Lord commands his blessing. And so we've all experienced the commanded blessing of the Lord in this process of just embracing the reality of what heaven is going to be like as nations, ethnicities, tribes gather around the throne of God and worship him for all of eternity.
0: Jay Stewart and Derek Hawkins here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the website, weldedbook.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by accessing the programming section at faithradio.org. Through The Meeting House homepage, you'll find the Media Center, where you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection Podcast. On that homepage, there's also a link to the intersection. You can find it in the Media Center. There's also a link to iTunes where you can subscribe for free. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Be sure to search for the Faith Radio podcast when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and tune in. Continuing now with this edition of the Intersection Podcast, George Barna is the director of research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University and a professor at the school. In a recent conversation with me, he discussed the voting patterns of what he refers to as the SAGE Cons, that stands for Spiritually Active, Governance Engaged, Conservative Christians, in the 2020 election as well as the views of the people in this category about electoral integrity. Here now from that conversation is George Barna.
5: You've got this extraordinary group of people who, by definition, their lives are driven by the Word of God. The the, the heartbeat of a SageCon is that they want to know, love, and serve God. And in order to do that, they pay strict attention to His Word. They try to follow it. They're biggest goal in life is to be Christ-like in every walk of life. And so they will look at an election, and they want things to be done properly because that's righteous, it's justice, it's the thing that would honor God. And as they look at what's taken place in this election, and remember that this survey was done the, the week of the election, so the fact that at that point these people were saying, you know what, things aren't being done right, uh, today I'm sure the numbers would be even higher but their concern is that it, it, it's not just there that there was abuse within the system but that it changed outcomes that's that's really the key thing here that four out of five of them are saying that uh, yeah this this abuse that they believe did happen and that we're seeing reported in many places uh, changed outcomes in the election you know when when you have Uh, hard evidence in Illinois, in New York, in Georgia, in other places where dead people voted. There was one cemetery in Illinois where everybody in the cemetery voted this year. I mean, that's incredible. (laughs) I mean, kudos to them. How did they do that? Uh, But certainly that's, you know, the kind of thing that these people are concerned about, knowing that this really is part of a larger spiritual battle that's taken place in America. Because if A particular group with a particular ideology or worldview can win power and shut down churches, can shut down our ability to express our faith openly, can shut down our ability to be sharing the gospel with those who need to know it. That completely changes America as we know it.
0: Let's talk about what you have observed through your research with respect to the SAGECONS, the spiritually active, governance-engaged conservative Christians. And again, as you said the last time you were on the program, that the 2020 election really was an opportunity for for Christians to vote their worldviews. So what did you observe about the voting patterns of this group
5: well, uh, SAGE-CONS represent about 9% of the population uh, when we talk about voting age adults. But ultimately, they wound up being 14% of the vote. So they, uh, you know, it turned out in such massive numbers. How massive? Well, across the nation, we had above average turnout in this election among all adults. It's estimated that about 66% of all voting age adults voted in this election among the SAGE cons, the turnout was 99%. I can't tell you, Bob, how many mm. times I went back and, and studied that data, because is that even possible? And, and, I mean, everything we have indicates that, yes, that's, that's a real number. 99% turned out. And, and then when you take it the next step further of, okay, well, how did they vote? Not just how many, but how did they vote? We found that 97% of them voted for Donald Trump. And again, as far as I know, that's unprecedented. And I've gone back the last five election cycles. I don't see anywhere in the data where any segment has voted with that kind of consensus, that kind of unity behind a particular candidate. And it's interesting, in the last election, in 2016, we had 93% of SAGEcons voting for Mr. Trump, which even at that time was unprecedented. They bumped it up four percentage points to 97% this time. Back in 2016, they were voting against Hillary Clinton more than they were voting for Donald Trump. What we found in 2020, SAGEcons were voting for Mr. Trump. And the reason for that was because of his track record. Four years ago, they felt he was the lesser of two evils. Now that they've had four years of Trump leadership, they look at what he's done on the issues that matter to them, the social issues, the economic issues, even the the, uh, foreign policy issues, and they've decided that Trump is a person who represents so much of what they believe so much of what they want America to be. And so that's why they voted for him in massive, really record
0: numbers. George Barna here on The Intersection. You can find out more online by going to culturalresearchcenter.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, in a recent conversation, Bob Kretsch described the story of the birth of his daughter, Faith, who was a micro preemie under a pound and how God sustained her life and strengthened his faith as he documents in the book, A Little Faith, a father's miracle story of faith, hope, love, and a micro preemie. From that conversation, this is Bob Kretsch now. I went in, and there was
6: the baby. She was in a tray under a warmer light, surrounded by nurses, just stick thin and struggling and straining um, wires and tubes everywhere. I saw the neonatologist, and I said, how's the baby doing she kind of reiterated, you know, she's not breathing on her own. We got her on a respirator. She's on 100% oxygen. We're keeping her going with machines. And then she gave me a litany of the things that were bad and could go wrong. But at the end of it, she said, but she is hanging in there. And she said, if she can make 24 hours, her chances will increase dramatically. And if she can make 72 hours, she would be considered viable, and my question was, "What does viable mean?" She goes, "That she has a chance." Wow! So that kind mm-hmm. of gave me the perspective. But then at the very end of it, she said, "We've just got to keep praying."
0: Yeah. And I had been,
6: i mean, I'd been praying, but they had kind of been these sort of wishes tossed in the air, like, "Please save her," "Please keep her alive." Um, but I felt so much better knowing that the neonatologist was praying for her too. So we were with her over the next two days in the hospital. It was the same thing every day. Things look terrible. She's critical. She's not doing this. She's not doing that, but she's hanging in there. So after two days, Karen was discharged. We went home, and I was by the side of the bed praying in earnest, but I wasn't feeling a connection. I wasn't feeling a peace, and I got up, and I called the NICU, because they told us we had 24-7 access, so I figured, let me call, let me test it. I called, I got the she said, well, the baby's not having a very good morning. So I said, well, what does that mean? She said, her potassium is very high, we haven't been able to bring it down. If we don't bring it down, we could lose her very soon from heart failure. So I said, all right, thank you. And she said, still we're gonna try. I said, good, that's what we need. And I knelt down at the bed again and began to pray again, just save her, please keep her alive, bring her potassium down. But again, I didn't feel the connection. Now I, I went to church, but I was I grew up in the Catholic church. We didn't study the Bible. I'd never read the Bible whatsoever. But at that point I got up from the bed didn't know what else to do, was completely helpless, looked out the back window, and suddenly two fragments of verses dropped into my head. And again, not a Bible study person, Mm -hmm. but I've been at church enough, I guess, that these pieces stuck. And I wasn't looking for verses, I wasn't searching for that, this is just what dropped in my head, it wasn't a voice, but one was, have the faith as a mustard seed, and you can move mountains. And the other was, knock and you'll be answered. Seek and you will find. And I remember feeling like, this is important. I've got to do something with this. So I took the one Bible we had in the house, leafing through it, trying to find it, had no idea where to look. Fortunately, I had a friend at seminary. I called him. I figured he must know. And as soon as I told him, he said, oh, yeah, that's Matthew Matthew 17. I said, okay, good. So I looked them up and I started reading them. And then I took those verses and I knelt down again and I prayed. And this time I felt like, you know, God, this, you're speaking to me. These are promises from you and I'm going to claim them and I'm going to trust you. And then I felt peace for the first Mm -hmm. time since the whole thing started, I felt some kind of peace. And really, that was the moment that my life turned. Oh, wow. You know, I began to understand that I need to devote, devote my life to God. Faith ended up being in the hospital for four months. And she had, you know, a couple infections and she had a heart valve problem. There were all these different things, but we always managed to pray through it and God took us through it. So now she's 28 years old. She was a three-sport athlete. She's a a search engine optimizer for a website development company. She's done really well. She's never been back to the hospital except for premier reunions. And,
0: you know, all thanks to God. Glory Mm. to God. Bob Kratz here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to beliefbooks.com. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. The website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can access the homepage through the programming section at faithradio.org. You will find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. The podcast is also available in the Media Center and through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community and The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content, including the video of the full interview with Bob Kretsch, as well as the interview with Derek Hawkins and Jay Stewart content from the meeting house program can also be found in the faith radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Again, that's meetinghouseonline.info or faithradio.org. You'll find the meeting house link in the programming section. Thanks for joining me this week for another edition of the intersection podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.